never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that hopes that one day we will be immortalized in plastic as Funko Pop figures, because that way... We would finally pop. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. Hey, man. I know. Bad dad joke. <laughs> it is Father's Day this weekend, so it's it on is, brand. It is Father's Day. What do you want for Father's Day, man? Um, My wife actually already gave me my gift, which was a, uh American Eagle ho- hoodie that's actually pretty nice, so I feel pretty satisfied. But uh, other than that, I just want, I don't know. Peace on Earth, a million dollars. I don't know where should I get started. Uh, do you have any big crazy wishes or plans this year? <laughs> um, well, let's see. I kind of already got my Father's Day presents too early, so what can you do, right? Like that makes me fear for the day. Like what projects are in store for me on Father's Day because it's such a weird holiday. It's weird. It's funny to me. Like I feel like the one thing I want for holidays every for Father's Day every year is leave me alone. <laughs> Just I let see. me play a video game in peace. Let me watch this movie without interruptions. <laughs> like, you know, um, I got uh, the two items I got. For, I got three items for Father's Day and I got them early because of the excitement to hold it in. I got the um, I got a Christmas ornament for the tree because the, the Christmas ornaments come early from Hallmark. Um, they start dropping now, so if you so some of them actually release now, which is weird, but they're collector items. So it's the Princess Leia and Wicket Christmas ornament for the tree. <laughs> Wicket will look awesome, like peeking out from the branches or whatever. Well, it's it's the the ornament is Leia sitting on the log in like the forest like fatigues, and then Wicket sitting with her, and she's like handed him like the food to eat or whatever. It's that That's- it's that iconic scene. Yeah. No, you said uh, Princess Leia and Wicket, so I just figured they were separate uh, ornaments. But no, that actually sounds awesome for it to be like sitting on your Christmas tree, though. Normally, every Christmas, I've been buying Star Wars Christmas ornaments since the mid-90s when they started doing them. And I have a Rubbermaid bin that is nothing but Star Wars Christmas ornaments. I'm to a point where I think it's like 60-some Star Wars ornaments on the tree in total. And we actually had a discussion about possibly needing to get a tree just for the Star Wars ornaments <laughs> um, <laughs> because of how many there are. And this year when I was looking at the Hallmark, because uh, they released the catalog for the ornaments when I was looking at them, I was like, normally I buy one or two, maybe three every year because they release like 10 every year. But I always I really want the ships more than the characters, but I have a good blend mix of all of them. So yeah. like, like, oh, that one's awesome. That one's awesome. Cool. Well, this year they got the Mando's N1 Starfighter. So I'm like, have to have that one. But then they have Jabba's Sail Barge. I'm like, well, I got to have that one. 
And then they have like it's just you're I'm like holy cow it's like this every ornament I every actually every single one of them I want this year so um, yeah I mean, why not um, I do fully endorse the idea of having a separate just Star Wars themed Christmas tree um, but if you you don't have to do this but if it was me <laughs> I would probably come up with some really bad pun you know because you could be like <laughs> oh this is our Christmas tree over here and this is our I don't know, off the top of my head, something like, this is our Galax tree far, far away. It's our life day. It's our life day tree. I don't have to make something up. A life day. Beautiful. I don't have to make anything up. It's our life day tree. Um, I do have the Star Wars Death Star Christmas tree topper, which is great yes. because that's the Death Star is the star on the top of my tree. <laughs> there you go. Um, you, you know what think? else? Cool. So just because we're going off on this. What if you did, like, uh, I don't know if you would cut out the letters with, like, a cricket or something, but what if you made a tree that had lights on it so it looks like a star field, and you just had, like, an opening crawl? Like, you had the opening crawl to Empire Strike Back or something going down. Oh, like tree. a little iPod, like, in the middle of the tree or something like that, just scrolling. <laughs> no, the... I'm, just, I'm just thinking the letters, like, sprawled out, but, like, printed out in perspective so it looks like... The literal oh. crawl. The Christmas tree is already kind of shaped like a Star Wars crawl, so that's kind of what I was thinking. But uh, wow, that's actually kind of cool because yeah. like you get a black tree and then you fill it with lights and then you put the yellow letters on top of it. And yeah. it's... <laughs> There's so many Star Wars tree ideas we could do. <laughs> I know, but clearly this is our Christmas episode. Um, <laughs> hey, Christmas in July is coming up, so there you yeah. go. The other thing I got for the other two items I got for Father's Day, one was a picture frame and you're like, great, a picture frame. But this is a <laughs> but this is a it's an Indiana Jones phone. Ah, gun. What am I going to do for, with the whole gun rack? Yeah, I know. Um, it's a Indiana Jones picture frame. So it's the the lid from the Ark of the Covenant and the picture sits on top. So like it holds the picture in place. So it's a really cool picture frame. I just don't know what picture I'm going to put in. Yeah, that one. Huh? Don't stare directly at that picture. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, clearly, that's meant to have a picture of the kids. <laughs> I'd say I would put a picture, a framed picture of the guy with his face melting off. Well, <laughs> it comes with a stock picture from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to change that. It's going to be what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's perfect. It's just going to look cool on the shelf. Um and then the third thing I got was Lego released a Super Star Destroyer Lego set for the 40th anniversary of um, uh, Return of the Jedi. And it's not one of the big $700 ones. This is a smaller one. This is the one like that's meant to be put together and it like sits on your desk as like a uh, ornament, like on your desk or on your shelf or something like that. It's about 18 oh, inches yeah. long. Um, so it's really like... I, I'm excited to put it together, but I was told I had to wait for Father's Day to open that. So, like, whatever. Nice. Um, but, yeah, other than that, that's that's my Father's Day uh, excitement for now because, well, yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say putting together a Lego set does sound like a nice, peaceful Father's Day activity. That is if you're able to get some peace and quiet, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that if I opened it, I'd, I would get the time to do it. So, yeah. Um, other than that, um, what are you watching this week, man? Yeah, so I have a couple things. Um, first of all, this is a couple weeks late, but or maybe a week or two, but uh, Super Mario Brothers, the movie, is on video now. Um, I haven't talked yeah. about this 
till now because I finally have a copy of it myself. And uh, my son loves the movie, so he's just watching it repeatedly. But the cool thing about the Mario movie is that rewatching it, I'm just starting to notice how much rewatchability there is in this film because you see it in theaters. And like I personally only saw it once, but you see... There's so much imagery that flashes on the screen. And if you only watch the movie once, there's no way you can pick up every little Easter egg in the film. Like right before we recorded, we were watching the movie and it was kind of at the final battle scene. And there's just details I didn't notice the first time. Like there's so much to look at. And uh, during the final battle scene, there's a part where uh, Donkey Kong gets a uh, fire flower. Like he gets the fire flower power up. And I didn't notice it in theaters, but his fur changes color, like his fur changes to red and it has kind of like white trim. And it's like, that's so cool. But it's that happens so fast. Like you only see him on screen for about like, you know, five seconds. And so it's a blink and miss it thing. And then after that, there is a like a cool like side sideways platformer scene where you see. But Donkey Kong's like way in the background. So it's like one of those things, if you don't notice his fur change right away, you're not going to pick up on it. And then just like I said, there's that platformer scene right afterwards and you have Mario up in the foreground and then in the background you have Donkey Kong and they're both running sideways like through like Bowser's lair or up to Bowser's castle, however you want to phrase it. But there's there's like multiple platforming sequences going on at once and there's just so much to look at and i think that's what i'm gonna get out of re-watching this movie on video is just the appreciation for the level of detail put into this film and uh while i was watching it um i was thinking a lot about how to train your dragon three because when i when that movie came out i praised it a lot on the podcast for the amount of detail within that film, especially when it comes to the um, when the, when it comes to the main like Viking town and like how many baby dragons and crazy details are in the background. But the thing about the Mario movie is the Mario movie. I don't even know if it has the same level of detail as How to Train Your Dragon Three. But all those details really mean something and they just punch you in the nostalgic feels. And it's one of those things where you see something in the background and it just brings you back to another element of your childhood. And it's just the the detail put into this movie means a lot. And it just goes to show how awesome this movie is because of the nostalgia factor and the Easter eggs and all that. So that's my Mario <laughs> for this week. And Drew, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch this on video yet. Well, I was um, just going to say, that was actually one of my watching this week, is re-watching the Mario movie. Oh, dope. <laughs> was there anything you wanted to touch on about it? or like Not anything? directly. It was more like, it was just a lot of fun to re-watch at home and, like pick, again, pick up on little things that I missed when I saw it the first time. Um, because, you know, some of it just goes by, like, Here's the thing. I picked up on almost every Easter egg the first time through. However, there's so much to look at sometimes that like, you know, when he's just walking through the beginning, when Toad brings him to uh, the Mushroom Palace or the Mushroom Kingdom, whatever, and he gets to the palace and he's walking through this tiny little like this time around. I wasn't even watching the foreground. I was just watching the background for tiny little Easter eggs like the 
the Donkey Kong hammer is in the uh, glass case at the one store that they walk past, you know, like just little things like that. (laughs) See, that's something that I didn't even notice. So now I'm going to be looking at that. That's awesome. Yeah. So Uh, this store, there's a storefront. He's like walking with Toad and they pass the storefront and there's in a glass case is the hammer from Donkey Kong. And then there's a couple other glass cases with items. I'm drawing a blank on what the other items were, but I was like, oh, hi, I didn't see that when I was in the theater, you know, so. Awesome. I hope there's a, I wonder if there's a warp whistle somewhere in the background of that oh. movie. Or, that. or like if they do for the next Mario movie, it'd be awesome if they had a warp whistle involved. That would just be, that'd be really cool. Um, yeah, so a couple other things that I did uh, kind of consume was, uh, so I've read a little bit, Further in uh, Chainsaw Man, which is the manga I was talking about last week. And this is one of those things where I bought the first volume of the series. And uh, as I mentioned, the first volume lets off in the middle of like this huge fight scene where you have the main character versus like this crazy bat demon character. And it just lets off in the middle of the scene. And you're just like, that wasn't even a cliffhanger. That was just an abrupt stop. What the heck? And uh, what I ended up doing is I actually downloaded uh, the Shonen Jump app, which is uh, basically just a manga reading app for all the Shonen Jump series. So it's pretty much all your like, you know, your Dragon Balls, your Naruto's, your Bleach's, your My Hero Academia's. Like it's kind of like pretty like drew pretty similar to like the Marvel and DC apps that you've mentioned. Like that's the thing where it's like. You pay a couple bu- bucks a month and you have like unlimited manga to read through. And uh, I'm what still what's this uh, Shonen Jump. OK. And uh, I'm still in the trial phase of the app, but um, I have a Chromebook that has been really good to read manga on. Like I actually <laughs> held the first volume of Chainsaw Man up to the screen while I was reading uh, on this app. And it actually is like the pages are almost exactly the same sized. So I was like, that's pretty sweet. Um, but anyways, like about this manga, this manga, I, I'm i really enjoying from a character design and like world building level because it's essentially like, to me, it's pretty similar to Hellboy where you have the main character who's kind of half demon, half human. And I won't get into spoilers about his origin story, but he ends up working for this agency that is specifically there to fight demons and devils and stuff that are terrorizing society. And it feels very much like kind of like the BPRD from Hellboy and stuff like that. But I was, I think I was taken a little bit aback because the story did seem really straightforward at first and the other thing that caught me off guard was the main character is kind of really pervy if you will (laughs) like his main motivation is like picking up chicks and getting action and that's kind of my innocent way to describe some of his motivations but uh it does lead to like a lot of really cool action sequences and stuff and my favorite part of this story so far is you have this character who's working for this agency that i mentioned and they're all about hunting down all these demons and devils and stuff but there seems to be this really subtle commentary that i'm just seeing the hint of it play out but 
there's like a weird commentary about a big corporation like this agency he works for and how they start to take ownership of their employees and how they start to manipulate the people who work for them and kind of in the way that a character who's supposed to be a demon or a devil stereotypically would when it comes to like a character like selling their soul to the devil and then the devil owns you and stuff this series kind of is showcasing how a big corporation can do the same thing even if it's like a corporation that's there to fight off demons and devils so there's like a weird meta-ness to it and there's like a weird subtle social commentary on just large corporations and how they can be like blood-sucking leeches on people's lives and stuff and so that I might be reading too far into this but that's what I'm getting so far and it's those subtle things that are really enticing me about this story um and then yeah I just had one other thing um I started watching Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai this week I don't think you've had a chance to watch this yet Drew I haven't I have not so Tell me the, what's the tale of the tape? <laughs> yeah, so I would suggest, if nothing else, you should watch the first episode of the series because Gremlins is a beloved franchise. The concept of Gremlins and Mogwais and stuff is so interesting. I feel like it's a really iconic, just like, a really iconic, like, monster origin story that, to me is on the same level as like the xenomorphs and the face huggers and stuff. Like everybody knows about mogwais and they know about like, can't feed mogwais after midnight, can't let them get wet, can't let them into the sun sunlight. Like everybody knows those rules and they're iconic, but there's always been such a mystery about where mogwais come from and uh, all that. The very first shot of this show, the very first shot shows where mogwais come from and where their home is. And it's kind of a genius thing when you want to talk about a hidden, isolated ecosystem where this animal could live and thrive, but would be completely hidden from the outside world. They kind of have like a genius level way of answering that question right away in the show. So I'm loving that. Otherwise, the series, it's definitely a kid's adventure series. Like, it's super fun. I love the animation. Um, It's not necessarily, like, the deepest storytelling ever, but it is pretty good. And there's a lot of, outside of the Mogwai and the Gremlins, there's a lot of... um, There's a lot of really cool sort of like magic that's used by different characters in the series, as well as like magical creatures and uh, some of the character and creature design I'm loving. And uh, the last thing I will say, because I don't want to get into spoilers, but I have a big theory about who the main character of the story is and um, how that relates to the Gremlins movies that we all know and love. And uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I I kind of have a pr- prediction, but I really want to see how everything plays out, if you will. So sure. Um, well, like I said, I watched. I'll have to I'll have to jump on that. Um, it looked a little. It's interesting because when I clicked on it on Max, it looked a little too little kiddish. 
so I wasn't sure. So I appreciate the recommendation to the very least watch the beginning. Yeah, watch watch the first episode. It's I think you'll watch the first one and then you'll know if you want to move forward. But because it shows so well where Mogwai come from, like everybody has to at least watch the first scene, in my opinion. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Um, so I watched I rewatched Mario. Awesome. We talked about that. The other thing that I rewatched is Avatar The Way of Water. Right, that's on Disney Plus now, right? It is. It's also on Max for some reason. I wasn't expecting. Yeah, I, I think I saw that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to be there, and I turned on. I opened up Max to check something, and I was like, "As cool as the first time I saw it." Um, the uh, what's interesting is seeing it IMAX 3D, the intended format, and then watching it. I have a 65-inch TV that I'm watching it on, so it's not a small TV, but that means everything is, like, tighter So the um, than the 75-foot IMAX screen. So it's weird to me sometimes how, looking at that, it's almost like the, um, the picture looks clearer sometimes when you get to the smaller scale. Uh, so yeah. you can like just looking at the animation and everything that they had to do for that movie. It's just gorgeous. And even though I'm not, wa- wa- I'm not, I didn't watch it in 3D. This viewing, it was just standard television. Uh, it looked gorgeous. So, awesome. um, yeah, I don't know. Just that's really all I had time for this week. Um, it was, it's been a weird week. Watching has been weird because. We're still dealing with a writer strike, and from what it looks like, the Screen Actors Guild might be going on strike in July, depending on how this is currently playing out. So everything is going to be real messed up. Um, <laughs> well, now now you're making me feel a little bit better that I went on and on so much with my watching and reading, yeah. but uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so that being said. Uh, let's jump into the news, because despite the writer strike, there is news. So, um, sound good? Yeah, let's go for yeah. it. All right, so some of these are quick. Um, now, yeah, some of these are quick, but we'll we'll kind of go with them. So first off, James Gunn. Um, now, James Gunn directly said, um, so James Gunn, I'm sorry, I'm kind of like backpedaling on my words here. Um, I just want to make sure I'm saying everything correctly here. So James Gunn went on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast titled, and it's his podcast is called Inside of You. And he sits down with actors and the actors and filmmakers and all that stuff. And they just sit and talk about the work and the industry and, you know, all that stuff and or anything they want to talk about because it's what's inside of you. That's the whole point, right? Not to be um, confused infant sorrow song but yes (laughs) yeah not to be confused with the infant sorrow song um so james gunn directly said work on peacemaker 2 season 2 will begin when james gunn wraps superman legacy so i'm excited for peacemaker 2 but it's nice to know that he's going from he's superman legacy will finish first and then he goes right into peacemaker um so i wanted to bring that up um James Gunn also had something to say about Superman, uh, talking about the trunks versus not trunks. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I heard about this. <laughs> he said, currently undecided, 
We're doing an incredible amount of concept art art now with both, and we'll use whatever version looks best. For me, the most important aspect of the character is to go beyond trunks. Um, I know you're more vocal about this than I am, but I believe since the last time we talked about it, you were a you're a trunks guy, but in the movies, it's almost you would prefer the no trunks because it translates better. Am I getting that right, or do you want to weigh in there? I think I, I think I do like the trunkless, the newer trunkless trunkless suits that have came out, like the new Fifty Two and Man of Steel version and stuff. But for me, and I was thinking about this a little bit, but it really depends on where Superman's suit is going to come from in these movies because you have like man of steel uh the movie where they were really trying to do a kryptonian alien suit and it totally makes sense when you have an alien suit for there not to be you know the character wearing underwear outside of the spandex right but if you know like if you go back to the comics if you go into uh like john burns like man of steel run back from the 80s his origin for Superman's suit was that Martha Kent made it herself. And in that case, I feel like Trunks is a very believable, believable, understandable thing. And uh, like I said, personally, I think I do prefer no Trunks. Like, I really like Man of Steel. I like some of the Trunkless, um, like, uh, Lois and Clark, um, or Superman and Lois, sorry, the CW suits. Some of those, like, Trunkless versions look awesome. But if they can do it in a way that's justifiable and if the suit looks good overall, I'm cool with whatever they choose. So that's my long-winded non-answer to this, if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> and basically, I think James Gunn answered the question perfectly and in a way that you want to hear him say. But, uh, Drew, I don't know, what are your thoughts on uh, Superman's underwear? <laughs> um. <sighs> When I see it on a comic book page, so the trunks have always just been a part of the Superman costume for me growing up. So when I first saw it in Man of Steel, it made sense to me and it looked good and I liked it. And I was like, yeah, OK, perfect. No complaints, no question, nothing. But when you look at the comic books and they and they took away the trunks for like the new 52 Superman, I did think it looked odd on the page. I think the new 52 Superman suit looks fantastic, but I thought it looked odd because there's no trunks. Which, right. seems, which seems weird to say. And when they do it with Batman, I don't think it looks weird as long as the belt looks right. <laughs> and yeah. I say that because Batman has different variations of the belt. And as long as the belt looks correct, I don't even question the trunks versus not trunks. Um. Because I've seen there's different versions of the belt where I'm like, that doesn't look right. And because that doesn't look right, I'm starting to notice all these other things that I'm not a fan of, you know. So um, just my two cents on that. And I really don't know which I prefer because just looking at the movies, I think it translates better when it doesn't have the trunks. But we'll see what James Gunn's going to do. So fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> that's both right. of our long winded non answers to the situation. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is not coming from James Gunn. This comes from a third-party source, and we know how that goes. But um, they do say, this is a report that says Superman Legacy 
will reportedly introduce certain members of the authority as a DC team in the movie. Now, I want to be cautiously optimistic that that's a thing, even though it didn't come from James Gunn's mouth. It makes sense that you would want to start laying groundwork for the seeds that will become the bigger universe since he laid out a slate of his idea for what's coming and the authority is part of it. So it would make sense to do something like that. Um, but again, take that with a grain of salt because it didn't come from James Gunn. Yeah, it makes sense, though. Like, we know the authority is a movie that he's going to be coming out with. So and it makes sense that they would be laying Easter eggs into the the first, you know, this this Superman movie that's coming out. So I'm not surprised by this at all, but it's also like it might just be Easter eggs and it might not not really have a big impact on the main plot of the film. So I'm not going to get super worked up about it at least. But what's awesome about this is it's just people getting more hyped about new DC stuff and the rumor mills are flowing and as annoying as it can be when people are spreading misinformation and disinformation and stuff, it shows there's a level of anticipation for this new DC timeline or however you want to phrase it. So I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um Continuing with the DC news, um, Gotham Knights has been canceled by the CW after season one. Um, CW is clearly trying to get out of the superhero game, which is fine. It paid their bills for a long, long time. And the stuff with the Arrowverse I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, CW is kind of moving more in the realm of Jesus right now. Um, they just greenlit a show called, I, I think it's called The Chosen, and it's going to be all about Jesus's life. Um the picture that came with it was with the announcement looked very like standard what you would think if you're just like, OK, we're doing a TV show about Jesus. But um, I chuckle a little bit on my own accord because the CW is where you find shows like Pretty Little Liars, The Arrowverse, um, Riverdale. So are we going to get an angsty teenage Jesus show? <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. Um <laughs> Are they going to do the uh, Jesus supernatural crossover that we're all waiting for? You know, I, I mean, that'd be the way to go, right? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're getting out of the superhero game. I just thought it was kind of interesting that they got canceled after one season. Have Have um, you watched Gotham Knights at all, Drew? I haven't. Oh, even no, that. I have not because I didn't even realize it started. And it's like, oh, they're canceling it. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why it, it didn't get like much hype. Um but I think it's still you got to be positive about this because the CW was always the channel for just like weird, like teen drama shows. Like it was the home of One Tree Hill and uh, Dawson's Creek, if I'm not mistaken, and stuff like that. But yeah, and they and they were champions for all that comic book stuff for a long time. So yeah, exactly. Who knew we were going to get so much DC content out of it? That's kind of what I was going to say. So. I, I I give them mad props, starting with Smallville and then rolling into Arrow and Flash and Supergirl and Legends and, you know, all of it. Just And then the yeah. crossovers they did were phenomenal, like so well put together, you know, so I give them mad props. Um, continuing with the DC news real quick, Kevin Smith claims to have Batman Forever's 170 minute extended cut um, from Joel Schumacher. It's the long rumored Schumacher cut of Batman Forever. Um, if Kevin Smith actually has this, 
even if it's an unfinished product and there's some like maybe it's some CG that needed to be cleaned up or something like that, please, I, we all still want to see that. Um, I did read one report that said it's not an actual copy of the movie. It's a copy of the script. Now, I'll say this. If Kevin Smith said he's got a copy of it, I'm willing to believe Kevin Smith is a legitimate copy. However, if it actually is a script, I think it'd be really cool if Kevin Smith got some actor friends together and did like a table read of it or said, let's do an animated project and release yeah, the movie said, animated. Because I think that'd be awesome. So, man, it's <laughs> there's so many off what you just said. There's so many things to think about, but you just got like my creative juices going. Like, I'm like, what if they did it? an animated version of the Joel Schumacher original Batman script, but it was done in the style of like Bruce Tim, like Batman, the animated series, but it had those distinct Batman forever elements, you know, like what's Bruce Tim's version of the Batman forever Batmobile look, you know, what does that look yeah. like? It'd be crazy to see. So that's really interesting to think about um the way i saw the story too and the way i had seen it phrased was that he just has a copy of the movie and so i never really thought it was the script i just figured okay he has a cut of the movie like he has essentially joel schumacher's director's cut that's awesome and i know i've talked on the podcast before about how there is a deleted scene that I saw shared around back around when uh, Batman v Superman came out, but there's a deleted scene where it's kind of like a weird dream sequence where Bruce goes off to a weird corner of the Batcave and kind of has a weird confrontation set to music with this giant, really creepy bat like giant man bat sized like bat in the bat cave and it's very trippy and it's a really really cool visual and i just like seeing that i want to see how weird joel schumacher's cut of this movie actually looks you know and it really brings me to the conclusion we need to break into kevin smith's house fanboys style and steal this thing <laughs> right right just kidding. Um, just kidding. In Minecraft. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, all right. So let's hit some quick ones. Um, Mandalorian season four will reportedly feature the return of Boba Fett. Um, I'm, this doesn't surprise me, but it is coming off the heels of the fact that they did announce that Boba Fett will not have a season two. So um, Boba Fett, I feel like as a Mandalorian 2.5 anyway. And then... Boba Fett will return in season three. So that's cool. Um, I'm down, but it's more of a, hey, we will see Boba Fett again. <laughs> um, I'm a little disappointed because my favorite part of Boba Fett was before Din Djarin came into the story. Like, my favorite part is that first couple episodes when he's just kind of building up his, like, organized crime empire on Tatooine. And uh, then Din Djarin comes in and it becomes, you know like you said, Mandalorian season 2.5. So yeah. I'm a little bit disappointed about that, but it's, you can't complain when you're getting more Boba Fett. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have a new Ninja Turtles movie coming. T TMNT mutant mayhem. Uh, yeah. The artwork for this looks 
gorgeous. The animation on this movie looks absolutely astounding. Um, yeah. Like they're definitely taking a page from Across the Spider-Verse for this film in terms of animation style and stuff. Looks great. What's really cool is that if you're a Tur- Turtles fan, if you're a fan of this movie and you're just like, yeah, I want more of this, there's going to be a new show that's por- that is reportedly in the works for Paramount Plus that takes place after the events of the new film coming out. Um, okay. So go see the movie and then check out the new show that Paramount will be dropping shortly after. Nice. Uh, Legend of Zelda movie is reportedly being greenlit after Super Mario's success. Um, We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that it was a possibility it was going to happen. I think it's a no brainer. I think they I think that announcement, that first announcement was enough for us to say this is one coming. But this is more of the, hey, it looks like it's actually being greenlit. Right. Uh, what I think is interesting is the cast uproar, the casting uproar with Chris Pratt being cast as Mario. Now, I don't have any problem with Chris Pratt's Mario performance. I really don't. And Chris Pratt, and I thought about this, that I wonder if the guy who plays Mario, the only words of, in the games, the guy who voices Mario in the games, I wonder if the only words of English he speaks are the ones in the game. Because you've got to remember it's made by a Japanese company. Yeah. And that might be why. <laughs> more than anything, more than anything they've brought up before. Now, the reason I say this, and that's just speculation, I don't know, I just it made me think because Legend of Zelda is going to face the exact same problem but almost in an opposite way. Zelda Link in the Legend of Zelda games does not talk in yeah. any cutscene whatsoever. It's always other characters talk when other cutscenes happen, Link is just standing there. He grunts a lot. And makes a sigh noise every now and then, but he doesn't actually utter any lines of dialogue. Well, now Link's going to have to talk, so they're going to have to cast somebody. Yeah. You know, so everyone better relax when you hear the casting announcement for Link. Um, yeah, it's... <laughs> and I know you're just like, man, I don't know what to say. So. No, it's it's hard to say because... Link, I don't know if the reason why they never had him talk was because he's supposed to be a placeholder. Like, he is supposed to be... Like, when you play Legend of Zelda, you are supposed to see yourself as Link, and it doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, what kind of voice you have. Like, you're supposed to see yourself as that character. I don't know if... I mean, I'm... I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I just... That could be a reason why they did that. And... It is like movies is a different medium. So it would be really weird. Like we've seen it happen. We've all seen Wally. We've seen a couple other movies where their main character doesn't talk or barely barely talks at all. But I don't think that's the thing they're going to want to do with the Legend of Zelda movie. So there are going to have to be some there's there's going to have to be some artistic license that you that's used for this movie. But I don't know. My thing is, I've already been seeing people like complaining that uh, Illumination is doing it, who's the same studio that did the Mario movie, because Illumination doesn't have a lot of more like serious action based animated movies um, on their roster. But to me, it's kind of like, dude, give it a chance. And we saw like they just did Mario and we saw some real magic with that movie. And as far as I know, they worked really close with Nintendo. Nintendo is a company that has really, again, I'm assuming, but I I think they have very strong um, 
specifications as far as the integrity yeah. of their characters. So I'm just kind of like, let's sit back, let's see what happens, and let's be optimistic about this thing, because I don't really think we have that much of a reason to be negative about this yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So that's my thoughts. I, I agree. <laughs> All right. Um... Vin Diesel announces Fast and the Furious 11 will arrive in theaters in April of 2025. <laughs> well then. <laughs> yep, that's it. Um, Sarah Polly, who um, you you might remember Sarah Polly from uh, she just uh, she just won a uh, Emmy for Tar. Is that what she wrote? Ugh. I'm drawing a blank on what what movie she won. Not an Emmy. She just won an Oscar for whatever movie she just wrote. I just, I'm drawing a complete blank on what it was. But if okay. you don't, if however, she is also uh, the lead actress in uh, the Dawn of the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So she is currently in talks with Disney to direct the live action Bambi film. <laughs> yeah. I heard about this. I didn't know she was doing, uh, I didn't know she was directing this, but. Yeah. And then uh, the person who wrote Captain Marvel and Tomb Raider um, and Lindsay Beer from Chaos Walking are set to do the script for it. Um, but yeah, we're getting a live action Bambi. Not surprised, but hey, we're going to all get to live through that again. So. Um, <laughs> let's I don't. See. <laughs> let's see. here. Okay. Um, Disney, um, the Disney film and, uh, empire has reimagined its theatrical release calendar in a major way led by the news that it's setting two star Wars movies for the year 2026 and pushed back avatar three by a year to December 25. Also Marvel studios front Avengers Kang dynasty has been pushed a year to May 1st, 2026 and um, there's a lot more to that. So they're shifting around a lot of stuff over at Marvel. Uh, we got two Star Wars movies coming in 2026. Um, I am skeptical on this because we learned that with Marvel, with Star Wars specifically having them too close together, a la Solo and um, Rise of Skywalker, or no, Sor Solo and Last Jedi, that people were not thrilled about the time span, but... I think a lot of it's blamed on how people didn't like Last Jedi. But um, it's important to note because we got two of them coming back to back. Marvel's moving a whole bunch of stuff around. Avatar gets pushed back. Um, because of that, Deadpool 3 gets moved up six months to May of 2024. So we're not far away from Deadpool 3. <laughs> which is crazy because I thought they just went in front of the camera. Um, but they've delayed... Avengers 5 and 6, so that would be Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, Fantastic Four, and Blade, um, which is, and Thunderbolts. So it's going to be, like, they've completely restructured stuff. Um, I'm waiting for, to see if these changes affect the known timeline that they created for us, because we all know that the Marvel story tells a big picture. And because it's like, yeah, we're almost 30 movies in at this point, And they're all still telling us one story because it's a comic book. 
I want to know if these delays are going to actually affect on a big scale to where the moves are on purpose because certain movies where we originally thought will take place differently. So when I have more of a look at what the real timeline will be, um, I'll talk about that. So do you know at all why these delays are occurring or did they just announce that there's some delays and kind of leave it at that? Well, there's delays, but it's also a restructure because they're changing a lot of, um, you know, how we talked about how they're removing a bunch of the TV shows they had planned. Yeah. Not going to pump out as many TV shows. So it's affecting the movie schedule. I have a feeling that the writer strike is affecting this, too. So um, which that's the vague part is the writer strike actually being a direct contributor to this. Or are they like, well, we got to do this. We got to shuffle this around actor schedules. We got to do this. You know, there could be a lot of things in the fire that they're not telling us. Yeah, and it makes sense that Deadpool 3 would be an isolated movie that they could move up. Like, Star Wars and Marvel, there's all sorts of moving parts that they have to iron out before they can, you know, bring the content to us. But Deadpool 3, they're filming, they're probably going to be good to go. Let's release it a little bit early. And to me, that's kind of the silver lining about this story because and I don't want to be too much of a curmudgeon but I think I'm <laughs> more excited for Deadpool 3 than any of the other stuff that you mentioned <laughs> um, but that, that might just be me so <laughs> I am very and excited for Deadpool 3 compared to the other stuff that I mentioned so I'm with you <laughs> you know um but we'll see how it all shakes out and as we learn more about the timeline um just in all seriousness you know um well, in all seriousness, we're gonna we're we're along for the ride, and we're not gonna leave any fan behind. So be patient, and uh, we'll have the news as we go. Um, nice. That kind of brings us to the end of the news. So if you want, we can talk about tonight's list because it's a doozy of a topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, let's roll the thing, shall we? top five all right pete this was your pick um i found this difficult because i feel like i feel like my whole list is sacrilege (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) and i so like it's weird when I look at my list and it's like whole, like really dude, like that's where you're going. Like in all seriousness. So um, the thing about this list is, so we did a, so go ahead and explain the list and then we'll explain the rest. So, yeah. So we, we did a podcast in the past and um, the topic was our top five films that we would show to people for educational purposes. And uh, it's funny with what you just said, because when we did that list, I kind of felt like most of my picks were sacrilegious because there were a lot of things that I a lot of movies that I know and I love and I knew these sort of endearing qualities about and uh, stuff that you could show to somebody and say, like, like, I don't I don't think Scott Pilgrim was on that list, but I could see myself putting that on that list because I could be like, Okay, this, you know, you can watch Scott Pilgrim and you can learn about making a film with hybrid elements and 
mixed media and stuff. And even though a lot of people might not take that film super seriously, there's these endearing qualities that you can tell somebody to pay attention to and they can learn a lot from the movie if you watch it from a lens like that. And uh, so I'm kind of going on a tangent, but I was just saying like when we did our top five films for educational purposes, I felt like my list probably was like super sacrilege just because it's based off of my own personal well of knowledge and movies I've watched and stuff. So inspired by that list though, I wanted to do our list this week, which is our top five superhero movies that we could show to somebody for educational purposes. And uh, the way I kind of formulated my list was I imagined if you have someone who is interested in film, like maybe even interested in uh, making their own films, but has no idea anything about superheroes, had no, has never watched a superhero movie, what are the five films you would show this person to teach them how a superhero film is made, um, the types of things you can do with them, the types of... Uh, how epic of a scale they can be on. Like all of my picks had like specific things that I would want to teach the person about this film genre. The thing is it's superhero films though, which when it comes to the really hardcore film bros, this is a genre that isn't always super seriously taken. So there's a bit of a, I don't want to say an oxymoron, but there's a fun play at that where this is like, a genre that some film snobs might view as lowbrow. And we're talking about ones that we're selecting to teach people certain things. And I think there's something really fun about that juxtaposition. But uh, my problem was we had to narrow this down to five picks. And there are so many films that didn't make my list that I feel like needed to make my list, but they just barely got edged out. And so that was the pain I was feeling is like, For me, there's one huge film that I couldn't fit into my list, and I really feel like it's a must watch for this topic, but it just didn't fit into my five. And so the way I'm going to look at it is I'm hoping that between you and me, Drew, we'll have like a great superhero film starter set that we can show. We're going to have 10 movies that it's going to be you have to watch. Um, <laughs> and what's funny about that is anybody listening to this podcast has already seen all these movies anyways. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, but no, why is yours sacrilege? <laughs> well, because my my honorable mentions, it's going to be like, why are those not actually higher? Right, that's right. Gonna be the, that's going to be the whining and moaning that the internet would do. Um, like, what the heck? You don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> let me get through my list, and I'll explain it all. I'll explain it all the way, and that's the whole point of this conversation. So it doesn't really matter. So I do have two honorable mentions. So as do I. All right. So I'll start with my first one. And that is Superman. Christopher Reeve, the original. Classic. Um, this It's a classic. It should be higher on my list. And that's why I said I feel like it's a little sacrilege. Cause it's right. Not. Yeah. Um, this is I don't want to say this is a perfect movie. Because all movies have their flaws. But this is one of those. This is a perfect movie to depict how to tell a superhero story. Yeah. Um, they cover the origin. They cover the comic very well. They adapt everything to the screen properly. It's casted well. It's written well for what they're trying to accomplish. Um, it's that issue of, they, you know, we believe a man can fly, you know, when you watch this. Um, 
Kevin Smith talks about this a lot. This is one of his favorite superhero movies. This is the superhero movie that Marvel claims that they watch every single time to make a Marvel movie going, we're not trying to recreate this, but we watch it going, they did it so right that we need to take a page from this every time we sit down to work on a, on a movie. Um, and it's a movie that I think everybody needs to watch. Where this movie, to me, um, falls a little flat is I don't know, and I haven't watched it in a long time, but I don't know if it holds up. You know, we had that, um, and I'm not talking about necessarily today's standards. I just don't know if it holds up to when you look at filmmaking tech, filmmaking techniques, um, storytelling, writing, all that stuff. That's the one thing that that's the only reason it makes an honorable mention on my list is because I don't know how it stacks comparatively now. So I'm a Superman fan. I feel like it's like every couple of years I'll like marathon through the super, the classic Christopher Reeve movies. I should be doing it every year, but you know, people get busy and whatnot, but the original Superman, I think it holds up in the sense that you have Superman. He is a classic hero. He is where all the superhero stuff started from. You have that classic story as the template for this movie. You also have Christopher Reeve. You have Gene Hackman. You have, I can't remember the actress who played Lois Lane, but you have these like legendary performances. And when you really look at like Christopher Reeve and how his performance changes between Clark Kent and Superman, like there's some really sophisticated acting going on there. And I think that's how the movie holds up is you have the classic story, you have the classic characters. And I think the movie ages really well in that regard. The way I, the only way I think it doesn't hold up is like, yes, like there's some special effects that are dated, but you, you know, that's kind of expected in this case. I think the movie's a little slow paced. Like, I feel like you're almost an hour in before you finally yeah. see in the Superman suit. So I think the pacing might not hold up. But otherwise, I think the movie as a whole does age pretty well is kind of okay. my that's how I would think about that. So. Yeah. And maybe I'm thinking the maybe it's the pacing I'm thinking of more than anything. Yeah, there's a lot of time spent in Smallville <laughs> before Clark knows what's going on. So There's also a lot of time spent in Krypton before, like, here's the thing. I read the comics, so I know what's going on. But I think there's a lot of time spent in Krypton before the non-readers know what's going on. Yeah. You know, so anyway, um, what's your... Uh, yeah, my my uh, the first honorable mention I want to mention, and uh, the thing with my honorable mentions is I wish that these could be movies that I mentioned after my actual list, because my actual list, I actually have a specific order I wanted to talk about things in, and these are more movies I would introduce after that, but it is what it is. The first one I wanted to mention is the movie Chronicle. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It is the found footage film about mm -hmm. a of high school boys who end up gaining the power of telekinesis and how that plays out in a realistic way. This is an honorable mention because technically, technically it's not really a superhero movie because none of the characters choose to be heroes. 
but it's more of a superpower movie, if that makes sense. But I think it's a great um, exploration into taking this concept of somebody getting superpowers and doing it in a found footage way and showing kind of a realistic portrayal of that and realistic not just in the sense of how things look and the way things um like not just the physics of it i guess i should say more so the way that if a high school boy gained the power of telekinesis the choices that they would make and how they would use their powers and stuff and i think it's really interesting in that way and i think there's a lot that uh, you could learn from the movie in that way as well. So Sure, okay. Yes, um, I haven't seen Chronicle in a while, and this actually, unfortunately, I forgot about it when I was putting this together. <laughs> I feel like Again, when... Technically, it doesn't really count, because it's... <laughs> you can make an argument that it doesn't count. I guess I'll leave it at that, so... Oh, all right. Well, my second honorable mention of the night, and this is the big one that I think I'm going to be chastised for more than anything, is The Dark Knight. Oh, right, okay. Uh, this makes an honorable mention, and I'm going to tell you why. This movie is, and I've talked about it in the past, and I don't sit, don't use the term often, but this is a perfect film from beginning to end. The reason this makes an honorable mention is because I feel like this is the superhero movie that you get when your universe is set up. We watched Batman Begins, and we I remember loving Batman Begins and walking out of the theater going, that was great. That was really realistic and earnest and great. But I didn't love it the way I loved some of the other ones. It didn't have the comic book feel the way it did because it was so real. Yeah. Um, when The Dark Knight came out and we saw the trailer for the first time, you're like, oh, now that the universe is in place, this is what you get. You know, there's a lot of. I understand what you're doing now, and this movie is absolutely astounding from beginning to end. No questions in my mind. Best, greatest acting ever, greatest superhero stuff ever. Everything's realistic. Everything's explained. Um, I don't have any questions. There's no quibbles. There's no, like, you know, when I feel like the, the negatives I heard about the movie were people complaining about Christian Bale's Batman voice. But at that point, you're just like you're looking for something to complain about. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're just trying to find something. So you're not the only guy that you're just like, I want to be the one guy that didn't like the movie. And I've got to find a reason to hate it. Um, but, yeah, so The Dark Knight only makes an honorable mention because I feel like it's specific. It specifically succeeds because the universe is in place by itself. Um, before that movie, ex before the movie exists. Now, the movie does stand on its own, in my opinion, and you can watch it without seeing Batman Begins. But what Batman Begins provides is such a great groundwork for what you get. And I can be completely off base here. I could be completely wrong, but that's my thought. No, yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on there. And uh, yeah, this is a great pick. I mean, how... It made your list as an honorable mention and how couldn't it, you know, so it's a it's a great example of what you can do with uh, superheroes. And it's a great example of how you can take a just really well done, intricate crime story and you can have a superhero in it. But even if Batman wasn't in the film, the film would work like because it's just that good of a crime story. And I think it's a really, really cool example of that in a way. So yeah, great pick. Yeah. 
All right. So what's your second honorable mention? Yeah. So you'll see how this plays out. But the biggest regret I have with my list is my actual top five doesn't have any animated films. Um, And when it comes to animation, like animated superhero it stuff has like such a big history of it when it comes to like the Bruce Tim like DC stuff you have like Mask of the Phantasm you have movies like The Incredibles you have like probably even a lot of older movies that I'm not thinking of right now but like there's such a big chunk of superhero films that just fit in within like the animated section and I don't have any of them on my actual list and I really wanted to choose one for an honorable mention And because this is an educational list, I really wanted to choose one that stretches the boundaries of what you can do with superheroes in the animated medium. And that's why my first honorable mention is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I haven't seen Across the Spider-Verse yet, but it's possible that that would have made my list if I had seen it. But uh, this is a movie... It's a beautiful animated movie. There's some really great twists. It's a really good story, but it's also like stylistically, artistically, cinematography. Like it is very sophisticated and very experimental. And I feel like this is a movie that really, when you watch it, it makes you think about how film as a medium has an unlimited potential and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse really shows how you can do really crazy things with film. And it also makes you feel like we're still just scratching the surface. And that's what I think is beautiful about it. And that's why it makes my list, if that makes sense. So Yeah. Oh, I'm with you. Um, Spider-Verse, both of them are great. Um, that first one, uh, I think, really set a precedence to things that we can do animation-wise. Um, yeah. How to and how to like. What I loved about Spider Verse is that there's a lot of ground to cover, and the amount of people, in my opinion, that read comic books compared to people who don't read comic books, I feel like the readers are way lower numbered nowadays. And even though I walked into that movie, I knew Gwen Stacy, I knew Miles Morales, I knew Peter Parker, I knew the other Peter Parker, I knew Spider Ham, I knew like you knew these characters yeah. if you read comics. So there's so much ground to cover, but they did it in such a brilliant way that any Spider-Man fan can walk in off the street and go, I'm going to go see the new Spider-Man movie and walk out going, that was a great movie without any questions. Like they don't need to read the comic books to have gotten that. They got everything, all the backstory properly done. Like it's everything was great. So. And you know, what's great about that. Not just to throw a little like tagline onto that though, is when you read a comic book, like when you're reading a superhero comic and you might run across like some character from the Marvel or DC universe shows up in this comic book you're reading and you don't know much about that character, but you can you can do like two things. You can either roll with it or you can, you know, you can Google it. You can look at their Wikipedia page. OK, who's this character? Find out a little bit about them. But when you're reading superhero comics, especially when it comes to crossover events, you're not always doing deep dives on every single character that you might not know everything about. But when the story's told well, they'll give you enough information that you can just roll with it and be like, okay, cool, we're dealing with, you know, so-and-so, and and I'm just going to roll with it and read the comic and enjoy the story. And I feel like 
the way that Into the Spider-Verse introduced these characters like Spider-Man Noir or Spider-Gwen or Penny Parker or Spider-Ham, as you mentioned, they do it in a way that's like really quick. They show you what this character is about and we're going to keep moving just like when you run into these characters in the actual comics. And that's a really beautiful thing that I don't think I really realized until just now, Drew, while we were talking about this. So, <laughs> Right. Um that's actually kind of cool that you're making that assum- that realization now. See, that's what this whole podcast is about. Just talk about cool shit and see how it plays out. <laughs> you know, that's the whole point. Um, all right. So my first actual pick of the night um, is the Patty Jenkins film Wonder Woman. The oh, good call. The first one. This movie is a perfect example. And we're talking, like I said, this is all about educational purposes. This is how we, how you make a superhero movie. This movie is a perfect example of getting it right. Um, You're taking decades of source material and you're trying to cast properly. You're trying to write properly. You're trying to direct properly. Um, The scene, like there's a couple moments. First off, I got to give Gal Gadot massive credit to her acting in this film for a couple parts. One, there's a scene where she has to try ice cream. Okay, there's some cool stuff that happens on Themyscira. There's some cool stuff with, you know, as she's like learning the real world. But she gets to the city, you know, for the first time and a guy asks her if she wants to try ice cream. Gal Gadot's got to sell it that she's never had ice cream before in her entire life. (sighs) And it is a gorgeous scene to watch. And just watch her. You don't need to see anything else on the screen. Watch her try ice cream for the first time as a character. And it's just beautiful how she handled that. Um, the other thing is in that movie that you, you get the you, I literally got chills and you start to tear up a little bit is the first time you see her in the Wonder Woman armor. And that's when she's climbing out of the trench into no man's land to face off against the uh, w- whatever soldiers they were. Um, and it's the, it's the start of the trench war into the city. It's the first time you see Wonder Woman in full action. But it's literally like. She, it's that I didn't, I came here to help these people, not like, as, you know, Chris Pine's character, you know, Steve Trevor, he's technically a spy. So he knows how to do that. He's like, I'm a survivor and I know how to do this, but I have a mission. So I got to be careful because I need to survive this at the same time. And Wonder Woman's like, well, I came here to help people. And she just kind of like climbs up and she's like, here I am. Like, here we go. And it's, it's one of those chilling moments that only, only certain superheroes I think can deliver that. But you have to have that directorial vision to go, this is how we're going to do this. And believe it or not, that sequence, the studio wanted to cut. And Patty Jenkins fought to keep it in the movie because Warner Brothers wanted to cut it. They didn't think it had any purpose in the film. And you're like, wow, here's another instance where DC was or the Warner execs were, quote unquote, wrong. (laughs) But um, yeah, Wonder Woman, it's a perfect example of getting it correct i i absolutely agree with that this movie delivers on so many levels you have you have the romantic story you have the uh you have the humor you have the innocence of diana and also the culture shock of her coming from themiscura to the you know the real world if you will but you do have those magic moments that you're talking about like besides all the like heartwarming stuff and all the cool Easter eggs when it comes to Wonder Woman's origin. This movie delivers on action too. Like that whole trench warfare scene 
is so badass and it feels so epic. And it's one of the things that I love about the newer DC movies is you can really feel the power of these characters on screen. I feel like I don't always get that from the MCU, but when you see the way that these characters, how fast they can move and the, you know, you when you see like Henry Cavill's Superman breaking the sound barrier, like it just, you really feel the power of these characters on screen. And I love that. But that whole like, badass sequence that I'm talking about was preceded, like you said, with Wonder Woman coming out of the trench, going towards the enemy forces, protecting a number of American troops while she's doing it. And what is she doing? She's using her wrist gauntlets and blocking bullets. She's doing something you've seen in the comics a million times, and she's doing it for, like, all the right reasons. And so, yeah, this movie is great, and uh, you're right, it is an example of just getting it right you know so yeah good call all right man what do you got for me yeah so again like i i structured my list as if i am teaching somebody who doesn't have any clue about superhero movies and i'm just trying to show them some of the best pieces and kind of trying to teach them what you can do with this genre of film and they need a starting point And we've already talked about it, but the first movie that I went with is the original Superman film, the Christopher Reeve 1978 Superman film. And uh, Drew, there's so much you said about it, it's hard to know what to add on to, but this is the template. This is kind of like the superhero origin story. And you can see how this influenced stuff like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. You can see how this influenced um, the MCU and... uh, especially in in phase one when almost all the movies were origin films like you can see how tonally this has the influence of it is still living on today and uh, if somebody's never seen this movie before i think it would play out a lot like what they have in mind it's probably kind of what they expected even if they didn't know any specific superman stories it's probably kind of what they thought it would be but it's also like like we've been saying, it's the template. This is where it all starts, and this is a great introduction to the genre. So that's why it makes my list. Right on. Okay. And I knew that when I said it earlier that it was an honorable mention for me, you were like, really, dude? <laughs> like, like I, I figured you and I disagreed on that one, but I figured yours would be actually higher on the list. So that's what well, I think is interesting in terms of what you're talking I'm about saying, last. No, the reason I'm saying it now is this is the starting point for my uh, superhero film class, basically. <laughs> so. Oh, I got gotcha. you. All right. Well, the next part on mine is the movie Deadpool. Uh, <laughs> okay. I didn't expect this, but that's awesome. You know, I didn't expect it either. And I was looking at the shelf today. Like, <sighs> I was like, I'm like, I was almost done with the list, but I was looking at the shelf and I was like, No, there is something beautiful about what Deadpool did. Deadpool, um, so a lot of people don't know Deadpool um, prior to the movie. They know Ryan Reynolds is in it. They know that the guy looks cool, but they don't really know a lot about him. And if you watched um, uh, uh, the Wolverine Origins, it's they did such a piss poor horrible job trying to depict the character but what deadpool does is it shows you how important writing is to these movies 
the story was actually kind of simple when you break it down. But when you look at what they did with the writing of the film and Ryan Reynolds having making sure the writers are on set at all times to adjust lines of dialogue or this didn't work, that didn't work, let's fix this, let's, you know, and they can go right back to the writers. That's something that doesn't happen on movie sets. Once a script is done, the writers are paid for the script. They might get a little back end when the movie starts making money. But at the end of the day, the writers are done and they don't have anything to do with it. You know, maybe they get called for a consultant. Hey, what do you mean by this part? Well, this is what I was thinking. But ultimately, it's the director's vision. This is one where Ryan Reynolds fought because of how important the writing was for the movie. But the movie itself tells a superhero origin story in a very unique way. And it covers all the basis needed to get all the pieces together as you go. There's those moments where he's like, yeah, this is a love story. Great. It's a love story. But then he's like, it's also a horror story, you know, and you get the tragic moments and you go through this movie piece by piece, learning the characters you go. And even though he's a funny comedic character, that's pretty badass in his own right, it's a tragic story and you start to feel and relate for it. Um, it's an example of getting it right, but it's also an example of how important the writing is. And that's why I wanted to bring this movie up on its own. Um, and it's why I was kind of, I'm like this, no, I'm like, this movie definitely sits much higher on the list because of how well it was put together. So, yeah, I, I agree with everything you say and I don't necessarily have a lot to add because everything you said was said so well. Um, but I think this is a great pick also because I think it shows, again, it's showing the breadth of this genre. It's showing how you can have a superhero movie and it doesn't have to be, aimed towards a pg audience like it can be it can have much more mature serious subject matter but it also can have very mature humor and uh, i think deadpool is handled really well and uh, especially the first one i know it had a lower budget like it was kind of filmed um like a lower budget action movie as opposed to some of the like crazy expensive like mcu films and stuff where uh, shown, but I feel like the first Deadpool movie is spiritually closer in line with like, you know, older like like it's closer in line with the original Crow, for example, when it comes to the budget and the sort of like it, it was a big but it was a big studio movie, but there is a bit of that independent spirit in the way that it was filmed and the way that Ryan Reynolds strong armed this movie into existence and all that. So I think that's another great aspect uh for this movie to make the list with if that makes sense yeah yeah um and i'm glad yeah so deadpool man <laughs> uh, what's your next one yeah so speaking of wolverine origins <laughs> i did not pick that movie but i did go with <laughs> 2000 film x-men as the next pick on my list and uh, I feel like you're going to say X-Men for the same reason I'm going to say my next pick. But go ahead. Fair enough. So the reason I picked X-Men is because I'm showing this movie, this series of movies to somebody and they've seen Superman and they've seen how to do a superhero movie and they've seen how to do an origin. But I think X-Men is such a good example of how you can take that stuff and bring it into the real world. You can make you watch a superhero movie and you can make you you can make the audience feel the pain and discomfort of the characters. Like when Rogue first discovers her powers and she's basically 
kissing a boy for the first time and you can feel her pain and confusion through that process. You have that famous line that I love where uh, Rogue ask Wolver- asks Wolverine if it hurts when his claws come out. And he says every time. Every time. Yep. And that's something, like, as somebody who grew up watching the X-Men animated series, I never really thought about, like, do Wolverine's claws hurt when they come out? But when he said that, it was so is so tactile it was so it brought it all into the real world but not only that x-men i mean everybody's talked so much about this so i don't want to go on and on but it has that um that uh civil rights aspect to it i couldn't i couldn't remember the word but it has that civil rights aspect the the whole mutants as an outsider and the sort of like um they like racism or other sort of uh analogies to it and i think it's a beautiful film when you think about using superheroes that's not a genre that's always taken super seriously and showing how this is a this is a genre that can have real impact on the world and can also comment on some really serious things when it comes to our society so that's that's pretty much why I picked this one. But I also think when you jump from Superman to X-Men, you can see a lot of advancements in this genre when it comes to costuming and special effects and stuff like that. So that's a, those are some fun aspects that can be showcased as well with this pick. Well, you did not go the way I thought you were going to go. Okay. Interesting. Just, you'll understand when I get to my pick, but your points, I, I love what you're talking about in terms of like the pain and the suffering aspect of it. Like superheroes, yeah, that's one thing to be all bright and shiny and run around and get the bad guy. But there's also a lot of pain behind that mask that they all wear because they're it's sometimes a tragic thing that caused them to be the superhero. It's not always I got bit by a spider and I have no responsibility or understanding how thing the world works and I'm going to go run around and spring spin webs and hope I save the little guy. Um, it's not always fun in games like that. And I know Spider-Man has a tragic backstory, but you understand my point. Like, yeah, it was, he was very, when you, when you compare Spider-Man to other heroes, um, he was kind of, I'm a 15 year old kid. I got bit by a spider. Isn't this awesome? Let's go try and be a superhero, (laughs) you know, where others, it was the other way around where they had to learn things. I mean, he learned things the hard way, you know, but when you look at X-Men and they're dealing with a plight of, um, a lot of civil issues and racial issues and, you know, the stereotype alone, the stereotype, but the social commentary on that alone to what's going on in the world today and that kind of thing. Um, X-Men's fantastic. So I see what you're saying there. Um, where I thought you were going was the team aspect, like how to make well, a team. Another aspect of it too. <laughs> how to make a team movie, because I was going to say my pick, my next pick is Guardians of the Galaxy. Nice. Uh, the first one. Now, I know we've had Justice League. We've had the better Justice League, Zack Snyder's. We've had X-Men films. We've had Avenger films. But when you think to yourself, like, think about this. Think about all the movies that have been out there that have featured superhero teams. And you take a look at Guardians of the Galaxy by itself. The Avengers, they built to that. Yeah. You know, they didn't go, here's the Avengers movie. Boom. They built to it. Um, They built to Justice League. Um, Not in the way people wanted, but they built to it. Guardians of the Galaxy, it was a obscure comic that every everybody 
even comic book readers are like, really, we're doing a Guardians movie? But everybody else was like, what are we doing? What's this Guardians of the Galaxy movie? People didn't even realize it was a Marvel movie. I know people that were like, what are you talking about other Marvel movies? <laughs> um, Guardians of the Galaxy, if you look at the story alone, this is a movie that covered every character's origin for characters that nobody knew who they were and created a team, a superhero team, that was handled in like the most perfect way. I knew every single thing I needed to know about those characters in one movie and had a wonderful time doing it. It was a roller coaster of a ride. It was so well handled, so well put together, and so well executed that I didn't need six movies, one about every character, to get the team movie. I didn't need the Star Wars exactly. movie or the Rocket movie or anything. I just needed the single guardians of the galaxy movie and at the end of the movie it's like that was it i want more yeah you see what i'm saying it's the perfect example of how you do a superhero team correctly if you think about it um so yeah that's that's what i got guardians of the galaxy for that reason it's a team film and the perfect example of it so no i i love it because it is like you don't have to watch everybody's origin. And this is one of the few team superhero movies that just puts everybody together and gets it right. And I feel like I do see the similarities with uh, the first X-Men movie doing a really similar thing, but you have like, you have rocket raccoon and you know, he says he's not a raccoon and it's like subtly hinted that he comes from some sort of science experiment but you don't really know what that is, but that's all that you need for the story. And then I think it was handled really well with uh, Nebula and Gamora because their origin is really just hinted at with like throwaway lines. And you have, uh, you know, you have them talking about how like, as they were brought up by Thanos, that they were, uh, that Thanos made them uh, engage in combat against one one another and nebula basically says like every time she lost a limb or a finger or whatever thanos would just replace it with a robotic part and it these are just throwaway lines but it tells you everything you need to know about those characters and it makes you understand their dynamics so well so yeah this is a really uh this is a really good pick and it kind of really makes it can make you appreciate the writing of this movie a lot more when you think of it that way you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Next pick. What do you got? Yeah. So we've talked about Superman and X the X-Men. Uh, my next pick we've already talked about as well, but I went with the Dark Knight. And this is just another a further level of bringing superheroes in the real world. But also I've kind of already said it, but how you can take this genre that is not always taken seriously, but you can tell a really serious, really sophisticated crime series. And uh, sophisticated is a great way to put it. There's a sophistication to the way that this movie sh is shot and the way the story is told and the way that the roles are acted out. And uh, The Dark Knight's an amazing movie we've talked so much about, but how could you not include it on a list like this, you know? So I think it's just a really great example of the lengths that you can go to and the places you can go within the superhero genre. So, yeah. 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 Um, and I look, I know I put it as an honorable mention tonight and my next two picks, you'll understand why it got, <laughs> edged, it'll, it got edged out. But I will say that um, 
it, this movie really is a perfect film. Um, yeah. I just what it's the it's the realm of we want to teach people about superhero movies and how to make a good superhero movie. I feel like it's a golden gem that you show like after you've like I've shown you everything. I've shown you that this is this is why we do things the way we do. Let me show you the master class as to how to do it right. You know what I mean? Like I don't it's it's interesting how that movie could fit in the dynamic of the whole thing. But you'll understand when you get my next two picks. Um so do you want me to move on because i already talked a lot about dark knight already so yeah yeah go for it so my second to last pick of the night and like i said my last two picks you'll understand why i went with batman 89 nice um now what's interesting about batman 89 specifically was we don't get the dark knight without batman 89 we don't get the x-men we don't get the avengers we there's a lot of things we don't get without batman 89 and I know you can say that about Superman, like Superman started the whole thing. So Christopher Reeve Superman, we don't get Batman 89 without that movie. But the what I'm pointing out with Batman 89 specifically is that this is a movie where it was coming off the heels of Batman 66. OK, so it's the only like if you're a comic book reader, you read Batman. If you grew up with the, Bat- the Adam West television show, you knew Batman. But it was Batman. This is a movie where you're like, are we, is it going, is Batman going to be able to hold the attention throughout the movie? Are you going to be able to do a Batman movie the way that you want to do it, whatever? And Tim Burton had the brilliant idea to say, it's not about Batman, it's about Bruce Wayne. And he, yeah. flipped, and he flipped it upside down and he told the human side of it where here's a guy who watched his family murdered and devoted his life to fighting crime and hope that never happens to anyone else. And you go into that dark comic book aspect of it. So you feel that pain, you understand that pain. And it's that it's the line where Vicky Vale's like, you know, you're going out there and he's like, look, I tried to avoid all this, but I can't, you know, he's out there. I got to go stop him because that's the vow. That's the choice he made. It's I created this life and now I can't stop. And here we go. Um, Batman 89 is a timeless movie because you can't depict where it falls. Like you don't know, is it eighties? Is it nineties? Is it, you know, the two thousands, if you look at the technology, he's got super high tech Batman gear, but then the cars are the eighties. Like it's a timeless movie in terms of like where things fall in place. The computers don't line up. Right. Um, what, what (laughs) everybody's, everybody's dressed like they're from the twenties. It's like a, yeah, it's, it's a interesting, it's a, it's a timeless movie. You can't ever really figure out where it fits in an actual timeline. So it fits like all time periods. Um, it's a great depiction of Bruce Wayne and the family and the murder and like how everything plays out. Um, but it covers the entire gambit of the spectrum in one film, the same way guardians of the galaxy does where everything you need to know is covered in the movie and you're along for the ride and you shouldn't. And you walk out of Batman 89 with the, that was great. I want more. Yeah. You know, um, and I mean, that movie, that's one of the most highly anticipated films of all time in terms of like the hype around it. When you look at like, because we always say Star Wars Episode One is the most anticipated film of all time. And I don't care what you say in this universe. It always will be Star Wars Episode One. But before that, it was Batman 89. Um, <laughs> and I only say that because they had a Batman billboard in Times Square for a year before that movie released. And then it was up there for like six months longer after the movie was out, you know, 
So it was it was Batman fever, man. Um, but this movie is an imperfect example of flipping the movie of the concept upside down and focusing on the alter ego. Um, and it's about Bruce Wayne, who happens to be Batman. Um, a lot of people argue that Batman, Bruce Wayne died in the alleyway with his parents because that's the moment the Batman was born. Because at that moment, he's no longer Bruce Wayne. And that shows a little bit in Batman 89 when you watch it, because he always is Batman after that moment. So, right. This is uh, this is the one movie that didn't make my list and it hurt that it didn't make my list. I wanted this to be on my list. And if you're teaching, if you are trying to educate someone about superhero movies, you have to show them this film. And it just didn't fit into what I was trying to do. And it again, it, it really hurt. But you're talking about a movie that Tim Burton put this movie together and he could have gone very straightforward with this story, but instead he created this piece of art and I don't take that lightly. And we did a whole podcast episode about this movie, but there is so much artistry into like the bat suit into the city of Gotham, the way that the Batmobile feels or looks the way that the city of Gotham has a character to it. There's a lot of like weird geometric designs. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of craft put into this movie that isn't necessarily evident in the 60s Batman TV show or um, even uh, a lot of Batman comics uh, as much as it sucks to say. But and I don't think that Tim Burton actually read a lot of of the comics from what I've heard. I think the 60s Batman series was his main influence, but Sure. He really took this franchise and he went wild in creating really unique imagery and really, in an iconic way, really affected the way that people perceive these characters. And it's an it's something that has stuck with us for years, but it's also he did it in a way that it felt so perfect. And it's like Batman looks a lot different than he looks in the comic books, but you see him. And like, yeah, that's Batman and it's awesome. But you also have to look at this movie from like a script writing standpoint. I know there's a really old um, it's now uh, Fat Man Beyond. But Kevin Smith's podcast used to be Fat Man on Batman, where he would just interview various Batman creators. And I think it is the this really old Kyle Higgins episode, like the DC Comics artist Kyle Higgins that he had on there was talking about how the original 89 Batman movie, the script is so tightly written. And when you hold it to a three act uh, structure, it is like perfect as far as how each scene plays out like exactly 15 minutes and each act, like the way it is all put together, it fits perfectly a traditional three act structure for a play and how it's like, the movie is so tightly written and so perfectly written in that way. So as much as I could go on and on about the aesthetics and the beautiful artistry, and we haven't even talked about the amazing soundtrack for this film. It's also the Danny Elfman score and the Prince soundtrack. Right. Absolutely. And it, it all comes down to, you have that writing, you have that writing as the sculpt, the structure of this film that was just beautifully executed. So now I want to go watch Batman 89. (laughs) 
<laughs> right on. Yeah. Anyway, what's your second to last pick? Because we could be on that for the rest of the night. So yeah. Uh, so going kind of a completely different direction, but uh, my my pi- my picks are essentially in a chrono- chronological order. And after the Dark Knight, the next movie I went with, which is tonally much different than the Dark Knight. I went with The Avengers, the 2012 MCU film, essentially the end of phase one, where you have Captain America, Thor, the Incredible Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye all uniting together to fight as Lo- against Loki as the main villain. And the reason I picked this movie, because I love this movie, I think it is a fun romp, I think it is hilarious, I love watching this film, but the reason I picked it is this is the first movie that I think really, I don't want to say it's the first one, but it, it, I think this movie is what brought this concept into the sort of collective subconscious, if you will. This is the movie that really hammered home that superhero movies are going to cross over. And you have your phase one of the MCU and you build your team and you have an origin story for Iron Man. And then you have your origin, or I guess it technically was kind of a, unofficial sequel but you have your incredible hulk movie and then you have your origin story for thor and then you're going to bring the team together and you're going to have an epic team movie and this is where superhero movies did something that no other movie genre had ever done and this is where marvel showed us that we have a shared universe we have a connected universe we're going to bring our team together and we are going to go on and nothing had ever done this before and i feel like that's why I had to mention this movie, because it shows how superhero movies did this in such a unique and cool way. And The Avengers is a movie that if you haven't seen any of the origin movies, you can still watch The Avengers and you can still have a really fun time and you can still glean what all these characters are about. But also by the end of the film, you see that there's more stories to be told. You have seen the presence of Thanos you know that we're going more epic places. And that's why I picked this movie, because it shows the sort of shared universe aspects that the superhero genre is so known for nowadays. But until this movie came out, it was just hinted at in post credit scenes, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, you said a lot, which doesn't leave me a lot of room. (laughs) But... What I will say that this movie does, and I want to piggyback a little bit on your uh, thing about it shows us what a shared universe is. Marvel took a huge risk to teach us what continuity was. Right. Um, Those of us who are comic book readers, we know what continuity is, and we understand that I got to read Captain America, and I got to read Thor, and I got to go read Hulk, and I got to go read Black Widow, and then I got to go sit down and watch the team movie, so I got to watch, so now I got to watch read the Avengers issue that they all led to. And now that I read the Avengers issue, I got to spread it out again. They taught us, they taught non-comic book readers how comic books function. And they explained continuity in terms of you got to watch this first before you watch the following thing. So that makes sense when you watch, you know, this thing. Um, And they taught us how to sit in a theater for bonus scenes, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. So when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, Marvel taught everyone how comic books function more than anything. Yeah. Um, They just did it on a big screen, big scale. It's the, this is, 
we've created a television show that you have to watch on the big screen. You know, yeah. and what do we do? We're scrambling for tickets when movies come out. Here we go. Next Marvel movie. Got to get in there. Got to get it in. Because if you don't watch the Marvel movie within the first weekend, you're not the cool guy. and You can't talk to anyone at a party. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that's gone downhill a little bit because we're not dealing like I guarantee as soon as we get the next team movie, people are going to be scrambling to get caught up with Marvel. I really think that's going to happen. Like I, we really need an Avengers film out like ASAP um, because I think it'll get, I think it'll restore some faith in the Marvel place, if you will, because we haven't had one since Endgame. So it's like, come on, let's go. Um, but yeah, Avengers, uh, I totally understand. And it makes perfect sense that you would pick that. So, um, all right. My final pick of the night is an animated one. Nice. Um, and I'm going with Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Awesome. Um, this movie, by all accounts, very well may be the greatest Batman film ever made. And I know it's sacrilege to say because we have movies like The Dark Knight. But what this movie does, where The Dark Knight does not, is... This is probably the physical best representation of not just Batman, but the world Batman lives in. Um, what they did is they created a show that it's based, I mean, it's predicated off the Batman animated series. However, this did get a theatrical release and it did. It's a full movie. Batman Mask of the Phantasm tells a story where Batman is in his prime and a villain that has surfaced is make, making him look back on past moments in his life, which are explaining a lot of stuff. So you see Batman in his prime. And now, mind you, Batman Mask of the Phantasm came out in 1992. There was no Batman Begins and there was no Dark Knight. There was no Bat. Um, there was Batman 89 because it was predicated off that universe. But. We didn't have Batman vs. Superman yet. We didn't have Zack Snyder's Justice League yet. This movie exists on its own, and it kind of Batman begins as a formula. So you have Batman in his prime, and something happens, uh, like this thing triggers a memory, and you see a flashback of him before, like, you know, in the post-parents murder, but he's, like, studying and, like, practicing his jujitsu and all that stuff, and he meets a girl, and he falls in love. And he has a moment of, do I stay with the girl or do I follow the vow that I made to avenge my parents' death? And that decision he's got to make. And these flashbacks are all slowly telling a story, but building to this big moment that's connected to the villain and all that stuff. You actually get to see a legitimate origin for the Joker that you don't see coming when you're, you know, putting the you know, movie together and just like, oh, my God, it was that guy. You know, there's just pieces of things together that expound on it. The writing, the direction, the way they handled it. Um, this movie is gorgeous. And there are many people out there that truly feel that this is the best Batman movie we've ever gotten and might ever get. Um, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on about the soundtrack and the art style and all that stuff. But this movie is like perfect in the sense of what it was doing and the point it was trying to make. And they handled it in such a earnest way 
that it truly stands on its own. But this is a movie where, again, Batman's in his prime looking back at these things. So when other villains make an appearance, you don't need their backstories. You don't need their origin stories. You, I mean, you walk into this movie and you should already know who the Joker and the Penguin and the Riddler and Catwoman and all these people are. Um, and most of the people who walk into the Batman movie know who those people are anyway, you know? So, um, but yeah, Batman Mask of the Phantasm, it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, everyone should see it if you're a Batman fan. So if you haven't, shame on you, go watch it. It's on, it's on Max. So check yeah. it out. I just, I just remember being a kid and, uh, the Batman, Batman, the animated series, just absolutely couched, captured my imagination at the time and i loved watching that show like from when it premiered like on like i loved that show so much and i was i was so little but it's like that show really took the world by storm and i feel like it's so appropriate that the first theatrical release in this sort of bruce tim paul dini animated universe that we got was Mask of the Phantasm and how it had such a sophisticated story as far as like you're talking about the flashbacks and hinting at Batman's origin and stuff like that. It's just so appropriate. And I just love that whole universe, that whole Bruce Tim animated universe. I love that it's so stylistically and like you didn't talk a lot about the aesthetics of this movie but like stylistically it's so unique and so iconic and it didn't necessarily have to be like i feel like that animated series came out around the same time as batman returns and uh, warner brothers was probably just like we want to put out a new batman show and i don't know that they had to go so unique i don't know if they had to go so striking with the visuals but because they did i feel like it just goes to show the lasting impact that this this show and this movie and everything had on the comic book world and uh it's awesome so yeah yeah that's a great pick for your last pick all right what is yours yeah so my last pick um the short one-liner is this pick ties my list into a cute bow but i actually do have some really specific reasons why i chose this one as well but i went with Man of Steel, the 2013 Zack Snyder Superman movie. And uh, like I said, this time I listened to a cute bow because I started with Superman 1978 and ended it with Man of Steel. But uh, the real reason I picked this is because I really wanted to put a Zack Snyder movie on my list because Zack Snyder... I really look up to him as a filmmaker. I think I think he's a really inspiring personality. And I love hearing about the way he crafts his movies. He is a very detail-oriented director. Like, I remember watching, um, whether it be, like, behind-the-scenes featurettes or just clips online, like, behind-the-scenes stuff about Man of Steel, where you have Zack Snyder and you have his cameraman laying on the ground with a camera, and Zack Snyder is, um, it's like a, it's so hard, it's kind of hard to explain, but you have a scene from, like, Behind Superman, you have the cameraman laying on the ground and you have Zack Snyder moving his hand with the cape to make sure that the way that Superman's cape flails in front of the camera looks just perfect. And I feel like that little clip really showcases how much attention to detail this guy comes 
uh, or approaches his movies with. Um, it's also seen like I've mentioned it in the past, but I think there's a lot of really sophisticated stuff that Snyder does with his lighting and stuff like that. And um, um, and uh, sorry, losing my train of thought a little bit. Yeah, no, it's all good. Um, um, I'll jump in there a little bit so you can try and catch up. The uh, the big thing about um, Man of Steel is um, it showed a very cool, realistic take on what would happen if the world found out if there was really a super if there was really aliens living among us and Superman was real. And that's one thing that the Christopher Reeve movie really doesn't do where Christopher Reeve Superman is like, oh, it's the guy who can fly and he's got superpowers, but they don't really touch on how the world would react. Yeah. Where the Man of Steel does this very well. And it spills over into Batman versus Superman um, when you have the news outlets and the governments questioning, do we need a Superman? What does this mean for us? Like, what does this mean on a religious scale? What does it mean on a governmental scale? And so on. They expound on the fact because now they've dealt with the aftermath of the Battle of Metropolis that we witnessed in the first in, in Man of Steel. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um no, yeah, that's beautifully said. And that's actually what I love about um, when you go into Batman v Superman, when you see the way that everybody reacts to this. And I've heard criticisms to that movie specifically about how people were like, I don't get it. Do the people like Superman or do they not like him? Like people didn't understand everybody's takes on it. And my reaction to that criticism is like, well, everybody's reactions would probably be super divisive just like how real life is where every new development when it comes to current events and politics half the country feels one way about the issue half the country feels the other way yeah, so i feel like that was actually handled really well it's um, like it's like this is exactly how it would play in real life and a discussion yeah absolutely you know um, the other thing i want to say since we did mention batman v superman but uh, another cool aspect of Man of Steel being the end of my list, the end of my uh, curriculum, if you will, is I feel like this movie does hint at further things to come. Like we just were talking about Batman v Superman. You have the development of Clark Kent and him stepping into this role of Superman. And a lot of people have said before Man of Steel is kind of like his first day on the job. And a lot of people didn't like the film because they didn't think he felt like Superman in the movie. But it's one of those things where you watch the film and by the time you get to the end of the movie, he starts feeling more and more like Superman. And uh, there's a couple moments, like one of my favorite moments is uh, there's a part when he's in the desert before um, him and Lois go onto Zod's ship and uh, Superman is talking to some of the uh, military people who are there and the way he delivers his dialogue just feels like Superman. And then also that um, the scene kind of like after everything goes down and uh, Superman takes down like a military drone and uh, he has like a uh, bit of a exchange. Um, I feel like that scene feels very uh, Superman-esque as well. But that's kind of the thing is like this rounds out my list, but it also hints at further things to come. So uh, that's why it makes it for me. So yeah, Man of Steel. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this list. So I hope, kids, you got a lot of uh, education, and I hope we said some stuff to make you revisit some of these movies. 
um, especially because um, a lot of them, a lot of the movies you talked about are fairly new. We didn't have a lot of older ones, um, but I hope you go back and take a look. All of them, I believe, are streaming in some place. So, um, <laughs> <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> the only one I don't, the only one I don't know, because they're either all on Disney or Max, and the only one I can't speak of specifically is Chronicle in terms of where it's streaming. So, true um, story. So next week, and I'm going to kind of rush this to the end of the credits tonight because we're talking way longer than we normally do. But um, the uh, next movie, so next movie, next list we're going to do, I realized, I kind of went through our list and realized for some reason we've never done this. So next week, we're going to talk about the college experience and our favorite college set movies. Oh, nice. (laughs) So it's going to be a funny list. We're going to be talking about some comedies because that's mostly what they are. Um, but yeah, so, um, our favorite college movies or college set movies, you know, so we're talking about, we will probably talk about a lot of comedies, but I mean, we might be talking about Scream 2. We might be talking about Transformers 2. Like there's a lot of crazy places you can go with this list. So awesome. Um, so yeah, so everyone do us all a favor and uh, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up there. Social media, either way works. We are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Google Play, Audible, Amazon. Um, You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Um, You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be complaining about my asshole friend who keeps carrying me through all the levels of this Rescue Rangers Nintendo game. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get better at the game, man. Um, (laughs) It's not my fault. It picks me up and won't put me down. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right, everybody. For the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. Have a good night.